Hey, this is uh, Will Fortaccio. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. This is Freddie Williams. Hi, this is Lieber Mayo. Hi, this is Matt Wagner. Hey, this is Tim Sale. Hi, this is Nadia DeColibus. Hey, Christina Lear. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. Hey, I'm Duffy Wynn. Hi, this is Kevin Van Duffy. You're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 20. I'm your host, Dustin, and as always, we have with us... It's Apple. You got Josh. We are bringing you the latest comic news and book news for the last two weeks, as well as comic reviews for four comics from the past two weeks. And we are going to be having a discussion. We're going to discuss a little bit more about Batgirl and Azrael and the future of those characters in the Bat books. We have Bat books for beginners, as always, and then we'll give you your coming releases for the next two weeks. Hi. So let's get right into comic news. The very first thing we have is on May 4th, the source, DC's blog, released the very first image of the Batgirl. Now, there was no news, just an image saying this is from Batgirl number one, and it hits in August. And if you're watching the enhanced version, you can actually see this image on the enhanced version on the website. It's funny that you use the words enhanced version when talking about that image because uh, a lot of people (laughs) when talking about the image we're talking about enhanced um, features and I'm not Um, talking about the cost (laughs) well that that bad girl is well in doubt but uh, what's very I think what we've always saw was something that's something eerie familiar to those characters within there within that drawing right there discuss it more in detail about this picture because there's a lot of different things that are in this picture that obviously you can't see unless you're looking at the enhanced version on the website but there's a lot of things we'll discuss later on but then going into the next news on may 8th we finally got the batgirl creative team announced and you know after being delayed for over two months and not even knowing that it was still existing until dan didio's 20 q a's the week before they finally announced that the new series will have writing duties being taken care of by Brian Q. Miller, who has previously worked on Smallville, and will be penning an upcoming three-part arc for Teen Titans. The artist will be none other than Lee Garbett, who has been working on The Outsiders, and you've seen him been working on The Outsiders lately, and he will be teaming up with Trevor Scott as the inker, who has been working on The Outsiders as well. Now, the cover art has been done by Phil Noto, and that's the image that we've seen. So the image that we've seen is not actually the way Batgirl is going to be portrayed necessarily in the book. It's just the cover art. So like I said, we'll go into more details about that specifically when we get a little further into our discussion a little later on. The next bit of news that there was was on May 13th very first thing that came out that morning was that Kevin Smith will be returning to the Batman universe later this year with a new 12-part miniseries. The series will be titled The Widening Gear, and we'll see a new hero in the DC universe, basically introducing a new hero. The Widening Gear number one through six will ship out monthly and then take a six-month break. The remaining issues will ship afterwards in order to prevent delays. Smith has said that the art for the first issues has already been completed by Walt Flanagan, who previously worked on Cacophony with Smith. 
first issue is going to hit stores in August. So then there was some other stuff that came out about the, the big news that day, Wednesday, May 13th, was all about this Kevin Smith series. Then it was announced uh, on EW.com that Smith was talking with them about it, basically reiterating that it'll be 12 issues, but it'll be first six and then six-month break. Then DC posted up some of the art from the first issue. So, and then at the end of the day, IGN ended up posting up the cover for the very first issue as well. So that was basically the big news all throughout the 13th. Oh, I can't wait. I, I, it, like we said before on other podcasts, that it's either you love Kevin Smith or you hate Kevin Smith. And I love Kevin Smith. I mean, he writes a lot, and there's a lot for you to read. So I like his writing. I like a lot of the stuff that he's written. I still just haven't forgiven him as a comic fan for Spider-Man, Black for Cat. Spider-Man? <laughs> like, that you, one... Have you heard that story about like what happened? Well, you... he he was like three years late and then the conclusion like sucked and when he was late he was telling all the fanboys oh get a life get a life get a life get a life and he's like but... i need to work on jersey girl and then jersey girl sucks too poor guy you know he wants to do stuff in comics and you know the fans didn't give him a break you know because we expect those comics out monthly but he oh, told us guy, to but... get a life though <laughs> I mean, you're picking on a busy guy, though, man. man the guy's busy. You can't people. I could have written a the Jersey Girl. <laughs> I'm a Kevin Smith fan, so. The only reason why Jersey Girl was good is because he killed off Jennifer Lopez within the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> That's wrong. This isn't the Jennifer Lopez Universe Com podcast. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. So let's get into some more news. All right, the next thing we've got is on Thursday the 14th, this August solicitations, IGN ended up getting the exclusive, and DC gave them all of the Batman solicitations for August. Now, this is pretty early in the month, but let's run through of them. As we said, we've got Batman Whiting Gear number one. We've got Batgirl number one. Now, the solicitation, we'll get into this a little bit later on, but it, it makes some information some people's ideas kind of fall apart. We've got Batman Robin number 3, Detective Comics number 856, Batman number 689, Batman Streets of Gotham number 3. Now, here's one we have to talk about. The solicitation for Streets of Gotham reads, Bruce Wayne is dead. Long live Bruce Wayne. Gotham's favorite son has miraculously returned, promising to lead his city into a new golden age. But while... Wayne devotes his limitless fortune to rebuilding Gotham City. He fights violent opposition from Batman, Robin, and a host of DC Universe heroes. So, Bruce Wayne's back, or is he? My idea is that this is the return of Tommy Elliot. Yeah, yes, I think that it's, <laughs> it's it's like the mystery. It's a big mystery. Oh, I wonder who this Bruce. Like people are talking about on forums. Like, oh come on, don't even pretend that this is a mystery. We all know who this is, DC. You're not fooling us. Yeah. And then going into Gotham City Sirens, obviously this is the month that everything's going to be happening with this Bruce Wayne returning because he says, with their uneasy alliance in place, the Sirens encounter trouble in the form of mysteriously returned Bruce Wayne. He's dazzling, he's dangerous, and he's got his sights set on Harley Quinn. Has romance sparked between these two longtime enemies, or is Wayne playing a more sinister game? So yeah, it's definitely not the Bruce Wayne that we 
scene that we 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 know. And then we've got Batman Confidential number thirty-two, Red Robin number three, and then Outsiders number twenty-one. And one thing interesting about Outsiders twenty-one is the solicitation. This is starting a new story arc, and the solicitation reads: With Arkham Asylum's most dangerous inmates running free, the Outsiders are charged with returning them to Gotham City by whatever means necessary. Batman and Alfred split up the team in order to track down Killer Croc, Mr. Freeze, and Clayface before the rogues kill again. So I'm kind of glad that the Outsiders are actually going to be a part of what's going on in Gotham City for once. There's been plenty of times where what's going on in the Outsiders has nothing at all to do with what's going on in the Batman titles. So I'm glad that that's occurring. Right. Yeah, me too. I mean, they need to stick to Gotham, so... So moving on to the next bit of news, on May 15th, the source had a post on there. Mike Martz put a post on the source basically talking about the future of Batman after Battle for the Cow. I'll actually read through his entry because it's kind of interesting. There's some little things in here that are worth noting. So he wrote, In a few short days, the final chapter of Battle for the Cow hits the stands and the entire world will learn the identity of the new Batman. It's a journey long in the making, and it's hard to believe all the hard work from all of our creators is finally paying off on the printed page. But we're not wasting any time resting our butts. Nope, we're diving straight into the next exciting phase of the Dark Knight's life, an era which reflects the New World Order for Gotham City and its favorite protector, Batman Reborn. We kick things off in June, starting with a brand new monthly series by the most exciting creative tag team in comics, Batman Robin by Grant Moore and Frank quietly. Trust us, this isn't your parents' dynamic duo. Expect the unexpected, including the surprising return of several characters. Judd Winnick returns to the Bat family to write our flagship title, Batman, with art by two of the most amazing artists in comics. Ed Bennis illustrates our first issue back, and then great Mark Bagley draws the first big story arc. Over in Detective Comics, we're operating outside the box with this title, and allowing someone other than Batman star in the title for the first time in many years. Kate Kane, Batwoman, takes center stage in the long-running series, courtesy of the incomparable team of Greg Rucka and J.H. Williams. Very talented Paul Dini has signed on to pen not one, but two Batman series, both brand new monthlies. Gotham City Sirens follows the misadventures of Gotham's most lethal ladies, Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and Harley Quinn. With amazing art by newcomer Gilliam March, this series is a can't-miss. And over in Batman Streets of Gotham, a series devoted to all of the other heroes in Gotham, Paul is joined by longtime Detective Comics partner Dustin Wen. Red Robin is another new title debuting in June. Who's behind the mask, you ask? We're not telling you. Chris Yost writes this new series with art by Ramon Box. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, folks. Tony Daniel makes his triumphant return to the Bat Books in a short while, and later this year we have a the series debut of both Batgirl and Azrael. So Tony Daniel coming back to the Bat Books, what could he possibly be going back on? Maybe they're starting another new title. Like I said on a message board before, it's like they canceled five titles to start twenty. <laughs> But but they're all they're all good quality though. I mean, look who we got in there. Well, we got we don't Dennis. Know yet. We got Bagley in there. As far as artists, Dustin Wynn is still staying within Detective Comics. Paul Dini is still doing what he wants. We still have J. H. Williams. I mean, with those band of artists, I mean, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. 
By any means, I think the, the, the one thing that I don't think anybody's really considering is that Bagley's coming on Batman, but nobody said he's coming on for more than the first story arc. So if he comes on for the first story arc, which maybe consists of three issues, maybe Daniel is coming back to Batman after that. I guess that's possible. Remember, they're also doing these backups now, too, so maybe he's going to be drawing one of the backups. Right, so also on May 15th, there was the 20 questions with Dan DiDio, which was uh, about two days late, but there was two questions that were Batman-related. All right, so we're going to go over these questions, the two questions that are Batman-related, the same way we did the last time. All right, Newsarama's sixth question that they asked Dan DiDio was, something that came up a few times in this question thread, possibly spurred on by Blackest Night, issue zero, Barry Allen's return is known, Hal Jordan's return is known, the Martian Manhunter's death is known in the DCU. Batman's death, there's no question about it. No mystery about it from the point of view of the DCU. Is that playing along the lines of Batman as an urban legend idea that people weren't 100% sure he even existed in the first place, or is it something different? And Dio's response was, The Batman story, as it's established, we have two different perspectives here. The story perspective and the fan perspective. From the story perspective, the DC Universe believes Batman to be dead, and the heroes know he's dead. But they have kept that secret away from the world because of what they feel might happen. But the events of Battle for the Cowl shows when heroes and villains start to realize that Batman may be dead, Gotham City falls into it, or tumbles towards anarchy. That's the story there. From the fan perspective, we all know that there's something going on with Bruce Wayne, so therefore... We're going to see reflections of the Bruce Wayne story, the Batman story as it plays out in the DC Universe in all of the Batman books and reflections of it in Blackest Night. The fan knows, or the fans might guess, that was not Batman's body that was recovered as a skeleton in Final Crisis number 6. But nobody else knows that. Part of the year we have coming ahead of us has the exploration of what that means in the DC Universe, what that body represents, and more importantly, what actually happened to Bruce Wayne and the mystery surrounding him. Wait, that wasn't Bruce Wayne's skeleton? Newsarama's seventh question was. Did I say that? You said that. Did I? Yes. Then who was the guy in the cave if it wasn't Bruce Wayne's skeleton? That's a very good question. But so is, did Superman find a body, take that body's clothes off, and put a Batman costume on a dead person just to carry it outside? That puts Superman in a creepy new light. See, I know I didn't say that. Now you're starting to suppose something else. I'm saying that there was a skeleton. It it did have a Batman costume on it, but whose skeleton that is, where it came from, who is the man in the cave, where is the man in the cave, those are all stories we'll be exploring in the course of the coming year. Both the man in the cave and the skeleton had pants on. Now that I completely agree with and can support. Ha ha ha. Both of them did have pants on. So it's the two sets of pants, isn't it? The two sets of bat pants. That's the key. That's the rosebud of this whole thing, isn't it? Ha ha ha. It's just like the old days. When you bought a suit, it always came with two pairs of pants. It did? Yeah, it did. How old are you? Ha ha ha. Trust me. It did. One shirt, one jacket, two pairs of slacks. Okay, so that's the end of the questions, and all I can say is, why would Newsrama carry on about bat pants? It's professional comic book journalism at its best. <laughs> like, talking about Superman undressing skeletons and 
how old are you? In my day, we bought two suits and climbed uphill. I'm Dan DeDio. <laughs> So what we know is that that skeleton with the bat costume on, or the bat suit on, it does, is not necessarily Bruce Wayne, which most people might have figured it. Well, some fans who have been saying, well, how can Batman come back? He got charred to a crisp. If he comes back now, then that totally takes me out of the story, even though there's been a million things that could have taken you out of the story in Batman's 70 plus years. But since it's not his skeleton... We can stop whining. I'm not, not saying any names, but there's a certain fan who I'm looking at. It wasn't his skeleton. Stop whining. You know who you are. <laughs> you think about Rachel? Actually, sir, I was thinking of myself. All right, so going into book news, we got a couple things to go over. The very first one is on May 27th. We have Robin the Teen Wonder. The solicitation for this one reads, All of the teenagers who have served as Robin star in this title collecting stories from Batman Legends of the Dark Knight number 100, Nightwing number 101, Batman number 428 and 442, Robin number 126 and 132, and Teen Titans number 29. This is going to run you $17.99 and it will be 160 pages. It's an awesome book, and I looked up the issues in there, and I have some of those individual issues. The odd thing is the choice. They took, like, part three of a storyline, parts two of another storyline. It's They're kind of all over the place. Like the Nightwing thing, that's part one of a six-part storyline. They have the last part of Lonely Place of Dying. It's really weird how they did it. I am glad that they're including some of these stories and that they're also including Stephanie's turn as Robin, too, so... So the next one we have is on June 3rd. We have Batgirl Redemption. The solicitation reads, Batgirl busts heads on the streets of Gotham City and redefines her place in the Bat family. Adam Beechin teams up with artist Jim Kelfour on a story that sends Batgirl on a quest to conquer her inner demons and prove herself in the world. Collects Batgirl number one through six. So if you're out of toilet paper, be sure to pick this book up. <laughs> wow. That's that's wow, Josh. You really hated it, huh? <laughs> did did were you not there for my reviews? Yeah. <laughs> just if anybody is curious, this toilet paper that Josh is referring to could run you nineteen ninety nine. All right. So the last one we have also on June third is Superman Batman Finest Worlds. Solicitation reads: Collecting three Titanic tales from Superman Batman number fifty through. Six. First up, it's the untold story of how Superman's dad and Batman's father had a faithful meeting many years ago. Then the Little League is on the scene as miniature versions of the JLA find their way into the DCU. It's up to Superman, Batman, and their peers to keep the Tykes from destroying everything in their path. And in the third story, the Man of Steel's powers find a new home in the body of the Dark Knight. Now, Batman possesses incredible Kryptonian abilities while Superman stands powerless. How will they adjust physically and psychologically to these bizarre changes? And will Batman's new absolute powers corrupt him absolutely? This is going to be 192 pages and be 1999. <laughs> oh, I got a live one here. <laughs> all right, so that's all we've got for book news. Let's go right into the comic reviews. The very first one we have is... Batman Battle for the Cow, the Network. And for this one, we start off with 
someone doing a radio transmission, basically saying that they have a bunch of people taken hostage, and Batman has to figure out who's going to be saved, because once one's saved, the rest will die. We see Jason Todd going after Catwoman, and a bunch of different things, scenes going on across Gotham City. We see Jason Todd fighting Catwoman, Poison Ivy trying to take over looks what appears to be the Wayne Tower. We see firefighters putting out fires, probably caused by Firefly. Mr. Freeze being arrested by Gotham City Police. And then we see Oracle basically watching all of this and deciding where, what to do and who to send to where. So she gets in contact with Manhunter. She gets in contact with Misfit and Huntress and Batgirl and, and basically tells them what's going on with this hostage situation realize that the person who's doing this is actually Hugo Strange, who's setting up this thing. Then we cut to a scene where Hugo Strange is at a warehouse, and they are basically having a betting system to figure out who Batman saves, and to make a ton of money off of it. So Oracle hacks in, pretty much crashes the computer as Batgirl Huntress show up to try to save these people, and... What ends up happening is Huntress is about to shoot the guy who is a hostage, who who is an actual guy on death row, figures we could just kill him because he's bound to be killed anyway. Batgirl says, no, you can't just kill him. Then we, the, then we see Misfit scene. There is nobody at the other, one of the locations. Another one at the other location, Manhunter appears, and Ragman's there. And they say that there is only one person it's the person that Huntress is saying they should kill. So Batgirl and Huntress get into it, and Oracle ends up hacking into the system, saying it's not going to work. And then that's pretty much it. Huntress and Batgirl save the guy who's there, who's this death row inmate or whatever. Oracle sends a message to the warehouse where Hugo Strange is at and says, New, new game, Hugo. Free the missing hostages or you will lose all of your money. He starts flipping out, and meanwhile, Hugo Strange has had a bunch of people dress up as Batman all over the place, and has been calling them field agents, and he can't understand how in the world they could have hacked into his system. Then you see a bunch of people, Misfit, Manhunter, Ragman, all these people going all over uh, Gotham, taking out these Batmen, per se, and saving the hostages. And that's pretty much it. Okay, so then we go into Ragman and Misfit saying, or seeing a computer saying, this is not where the location is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then we find out that really what ended up happening was there's a tractor trailer hauling a shipping container on the back of it, and that's actually the location for the, least, the source of what's going on. And Huntress and Batgirl stop it along with Oracle, and they say, so we just get back to work. We gotta go get Killer Croc. That's the end of this town deserves a better class of criminal. Okay, and that's going to lead us into Azrael 303 Death's Dark Knight. And where we last left them off was Azrael meeting up, well, the new Azrael meeting up with Dick Grayson inside the Bad Cave. And so they exchange sword tactics, and as they go through, Robin is kind of questioning him, talking to Azrael, getting information from him. And as it goes through, you see that Robin finds out that this is not the Azrael that went insane that killed a cop. 
And so as he goes through, pans out into Wayne Manor. And as you see Wayne Manor, Nightwing stops and he looks at Azrael. And, of course, Azrael says, well, I wasn't the cop killer. And so Nightwing goes, okay, but Nightwing already knew this. And the reason why is that as Azrael tries to take off once Oracle is called in, Nightwing tells Azrael that she handles a bunch of good operatives out in the field. And so Azrael puts, let go of me, right? And then Nightwing just says, activate one. And what it does is that it electrocutes Azrael. Azrael falls to the ground. And, of course, Oracle tells Nightwing that was dirty. And he goes, Queen Marksbury rules don't apply. And he goes, you knew? And then Nightwing says that he was the third Batman from Dr. Hurt's scheme. Voila! So we found out who the third Batman was. Nightwing then tells Oracle that the new Azrael is Michael Lane. And, of course, as we found out within issue one, the new the new Azrael, we found out who Michael Lane was and how he pertains to being the current Azrael. What then happens is that Nightwing then confronts Talia about Michael Lane, letting him recover his life and even maybe letting him keep the suit. So as a gesture, he wakes up in his apartment after, of course, being, you know, shocked almost to death. <laughs> a little note's written on here. And on the note, it says, this is a gift from her father to my father. Now I give it to you. Screw up and I take it back. And of course, that's a little message left for Michael Lane. So he can continue still being Azrael. And what we then get to see is a little glimpse from the suits that are missing, the Azrael suits missing within the case. But then Ra's al Ghul makes his presence known and says that the suit still serves for him. And so at the end of the story, what you find out is that he goes on and he finds another, I guess, a criminal because for kicking a citizen whose car had broken down. And so Azrael's right there. And what Azrael then does is that he takes his sword and he cuts off his legs. And so as he cuts off his legs, he goes, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Gotham City is finally ready for true justice. And then it says, coming this fall, a new Azrael monthly series. It's over for now. All right, and that is going to take us into the final issue of Oracle the Cure. Now, when we left things last issue, Calculator and his killer big robot self inside of that massive multimedia online role-playing game had captured another one of Oracle's friends within the game. Hey, it's computer science. We don't have to explain it, but... And he's tracking Oracle and her hacker friends in Hong Kong. The issue is opened up. The power's out. Oracle cut off the circuit breaker so that Calculator would not be able to track them. We cut to, this part is weird, Oracle's friend, one of the other hackers, Larry Rand, who had gotten captured in the game, he's being carried away by the uh, ambulance, and it says that he died, but we see clearly within the story that he's not dead. He has another cardiac arrest based on what Calculator's doing to him in the game, and later on in the story he wakes up. They were able to track the Calculator's IP address to Gotham City, so Barbara flies all the way back from Hong Kong to Gotham City, where she was in the first place, and knocks on the door of another one of her hackers who doesn't know that she's Oracle, but thinks that she's someone working for Oracle. He kind of hits on her a little bit, and she's not happy about that, and she's a little rude to him, and they get on the computer trying to track down Calculator and the anti-life equation crystal thing that he's building, which he actually finally completed, as we see in the next page. Barbara's asleep on this guy's couch because she hasn't slept in a while. 
he wakes her up and she almost attacks him because she says that she thought that he had a camera and a gun because she was having Joker nightmares again. She thinks about the Joker taking pictures of her in the buff and gets a little uncomfortable and wheels over to the guy's computer where he's tracked down calculator in the game and his avatar is a little doggy, which she kind of teases him about. But now the Mr. Ram guy wakes up from the heart attack he was having. So obviously he wasn't dead. I guess maybe the anti-life equation had something to do with that. I don't know. The issue was a little confusing, but apparently the anti-life equation eats up your white blood cells and your immune system and it's not going to work. So Oracle tracks down calculator in the game and she uses a avatar version of herself and punches his avatar computer version and says that's for cheese fiend who was the person who calculator blew their head off in the first issue he realizes that this is oracle that he's fighting but he already knows that he's going to use this anti-life equation to save his daughter so he quickly gets out of the computer thing while he and oracle are fighting and rushes to the hospital oracle who sees this from across the street goes to warn him because the anti-life equation it's not going to work. It eats up your white blood cells and everything. This next scene, I'm going to describe in as much detail as I can because there's a lot of different interpretations of what happened there. And I want to be really, really clear to all the fans. But Calculator comes in. He sees his daughter, Wendy. He puts the anti-life equation crystals down on her leg. And it turns out that she wakes up by herself. He did not need the anti-life equation to heal her. She came from her coma by herself. Oracle comes in. They have the argument about is it a cure? Is it a curse? It's not going to work. And he re- after he realizes that he didn't use it, the police come in. And they're arresting Calculator for all of his crimes. Calculator takes the crystals and he tries to smash it onto Oracle. But she uses her staff and it breaks and it falls on the floor. It touches Oracle's staff. It could have touched her hands. We're not sure. Meanwhile, Wendy is saying, Daddy, what's going on? I can't feel my legs in the background. While the police wrestle calculator to the floor, Oracle explains that because of the anti-life crystals in him, it's linked to a series of alerts on the web that'll trigger the rest of the stuff inside of him, which will kill him. You can go online anywhere. You can send as much of an email, and I'll know where you are. So I'd lie low if I were you, because right now I can't get the image out of a young woman you killed out of my head. And part of me likes the idea of an eye for an eye. Now, as calculators being dragged away by the police, Wendy's still in the background saying, Daddy, Daddy, I can't feel my legs. I can't feel them. Oracle is still sitting in the wheelchair. And we get a little thing saying, the end. But next up, Batgirl issue one. And it's the old 70s Batgirl logo, but just the logo. No picture, as some people reported. I mean, I understand any of that. Not at all. Okay, and that's going to lead us into Batman Confidential issue 29. And this issue titled Bat Cop, this picks up the story arc of the cop that in that story who was Jeff Shankle, that the Joker really messed up his life. He convinced Shankle's wife to hang herself. He then shot his partner, then shot Commissioner Gordon. And so we pick up there. And then we have his friend come to the hospital, come visit him at Arkham Asylum. So within the asylum, his friend's just telling him about one case that they had discussed about, and he was right about the, the criminal. Never replies to him, never does. And so they take him back, they wheel him back into his room, 
we find out that his next door neighbor is the Joker, who's listed on the door as unknown patient. And so the Joker's right there asking him, hey, you know, how was it nice meeting your friend again? So this guy that really screwed up his life is now locked up next to this guy within this asylum. And so the Joker tells him, hey, he goes, have you ever heard this, Jeff? And this is an awesome joke, guys. I got to read it for you. He says, hey, Jeff, did you ever hear the one about the virgin in the wheelchair? She's sitting on a dock watching the waves roll in when some cute hunk walks past. She smiles. He smiles back. The girl says to the hunk that she's never kissed a boy before. So he leans in and gives her a kiss. Then she innocently mentions that she's never made love before. So he throws her off the dock and yells, now you've been screwed. <laughs> so he, as the Joker's right there telling the joke, the guy, Shanko, just yells out, shut up. And he can't take the laughter anymore. And so the Joker, always being the mind-controlling psychopath that he is, convinces Shanko to escape. So he just escapes, and then we go ahead and pan out, and we see Bruce Wayne sitting in his bed, and a very nice lady coming out, and she goes, so are you ready for round two? Then she sees that he's gone, and so as he saw the bad symbol from his room, so Batman is already caught onto the case. So as he's going on the case, he finds out that Shanko has left Arkham Asylum and has escaped. So what does Batman do? He goes sees the unknown patient. He goes in and he talks to the Joker and he asks him, what did, what did you do? And he goes, why did you give him your escape plan? And he goes, you know, basically telling you that the nuts in the asylum couldn't take that nut. He wasn't all there. So that's why he told him to escape. And so as Batman and Joker has his interaction, Shanko is seen then at his wife's tombstone. When he goes to the tombstone, of course, it pans out. And it goes back to Batman. We then get a call that there has been no communication with the police academy. So Batman automatically heads there. What we see in this police academy is young trainees taking, they're doing their typical routines of being in the young academy, hanging out, doing parties, talking to each other. But what's really cool in here is that we see a very young Renee Montoya. So Renee Montoya comes out in this story. And so the lights go off. We see one officer get shot. And then we see Shanko in, it looks like police gear just decked out. Uh, it just says bad cop. And so what then happens next is that he takes Renee Montoya, puts a gun to her head, and then Batman comes in. And so that's where we leave off to be continued. It's about so let's get into the review wrap of the very first one we have, Batman Battle for the Cowl of the Network. Now I have to say, this one, completely not, I wouldn't say it's completely worthless, but it's it's on the borderline of worthless. And this is a perfect example of DC trying to milk Battle for the Cowl and the Batman books for all that they're worth by throwing in this one shot, because this one to me was the same thing as Commissioner Gordon one shot, which sucked. So... Overall, the art was good. I have to say that the art was good, and I did like the fact that they did show so many different members of the network, even though they didn't actually interact. It seemed like the network was the future cast of Streets of Gotham, since so Streets of Gotham will be covering so many of the different heroes that are also working inside of Gotham City. But besides that, I mean, it was there were so many more people that are in the network show and they haven't been shown really at all in the entire event. So what was the point of showing El Gacho as one of the members of the network but you've never seen him in any 
books at all. Seems kind of pointless. But anyway, overall, art was good. Story just... It was a filler story. It's like every... And everyone knows how much I really enjoy filler stories. I don't. So, overall, I'm just going to give this one and a half out of five. Batterings. That's going to take us to Azrael number three of three, Death's Dark Knight. Written by Fabian Nicesa. No, I murdered that. And then art by Fraser Irving. I, I like Fabian's writing. I didn't like issue two of this. Issue three, always look forward to because this was the last one. So you hope that they go all out with it. And it, it, it kind of left us suspended to what's going to happen with this character within now the new ongoing series that's going to be coming out. Fabian has a, a tendency to to put more story under the other line that you find out later on. And that's what happened with issue three. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I like the artwork. I like Fraser Irving's artwork. He he reminds me of kind of like a Jim Lee's Death Blow art type. And it very inkish, very uh, artistic in his detail and the, fa- the way he draws faces also. And I like this book. It's just leaving me wanting to find out how this character is going to go and wanting more. So from that, I'm going to have to give it two and a half batterings. And I I want to give it three. But the thing is that there wasn't enough story for me to fully sell myself on this new Asriel. But with the ongoing series, I hope to to do that. The thing I just have to point out with the Asriel series is that I like that series as a whole. Individually, the issues, they were kind of lacking. But if you look at all three issues together at the same time, it's a good story. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. That is going to bring us to the conclusion of Oracle the Cure. Now, leaving all this Batgirl controversy aside, judging the series as strictly adventures of Oracle, having nothing to do with staying up as Batgirl, still some issues. One is... Every issue is Oracle coming to a different... I like the idea of Oracle having a network of hackers, don't get me wrong. But every issue, she's going to some of these hackers for help. She had one in Gotham. She flies to Hong Kong. Oh, never mind. I got to go back to Gotham anyway. And they all seem to be getting killed. And I guess she does feel some responsibility for them because of the cheese fiending thing. And we'll talk more about those final pages when we get to our discussion because there's been lots of different interpretations of them. If it means, though, that Calculator is out of the picture as a major villain, thank God, because having him spar up against Oracle so many times and still not realizing that Barbara Gordon's Oracle, and we don't know if he's made that connection yet, even with those last few pages, he never actually puts two and two together. And she had dreams about the killing joke, and I guess for the emotional weight, we have to revisit that once in a while, but it does get old, especially with all this talk about the Batgirl stuff coming up. Somebody said, well, if it wasn't about her becoming Batgirl again, what was the point of the series? Well, if nothing major happened in her life, well, comic books don't have to have something major happen in the character's life every issue. It doesn't always have to be a status quo thing. It could just be about their adventures. And I would totally support an Oracle book about her adventures. But this was just weird with the anti-life equation and the calculator stuff and her constantly relying on the other hackers. And it just got confusing and repetitive, and it could have been told in one or two issues. So I am going to have to give this two out of five batterings for the final issue and for the miniseries as a whole. Okay, and so on to Batman Confidential issue 29. I love this series. I love Batman Confidential. I can't, I can't get enough of this series. This, this book is like, it's, it's just full of awesomeness. 
I mean, we had King Tut. Then we go back to this story arc with Jeff Shanko, the the detective. I love it. I love it. Andrew Gressenberg. I like his writing. I like how his stories are. They're they're well put. He he puts them together as if okay, let's watch it. Is if we're going through a, a movie sequence. And so he he gives you that the art by Scott McDaniel. I mean Scott McDaniel. I mean his, his art has evolved to this. If you remember him from the the nineties, from the Daredevil stuff when he was doing the new Daredevil stuff, he was good. He was really good. Now he has his own art style, where I, I like to compare to uh, animation type. But it, it, his artwork is sound. You can always count on, count on Scott McDaniel. I love the story. I love I love the story not just because it has Joker in it, but because of Grissomberg's uh, writing. I, I'm really excited about every issue he writes. Batman Confidential. Love this book. I, I can't say any more, much more than that. It, it, it's just awesome. I'm gonna go ahead and give it four batterings out of five. All right. So that was our review wrap up. Let's go right into our discussion. And like I said earlier, we're going to be talking about. All the stuff related to Batgirl and Azrael and their future in the comics. Alright, so first let's go over uh, the very first bit of information that we had about Batgirl, which was the image that came out on the 4th of May. Now, in this image, it's Batgirl in a slightly different costume than Cassandra Cain's in, and you can't see her eyes, but you can see from her nose down to pretty much right below the belt. So, what were some of the things that people were automatically talking about? The funniest thing was, is, and I still can't get over this, is that the size of her breast is supposedly a clue to who she is. Because if you read any comic from the past 50, 70 years, breast size is inconsistent. Like, ah, oh, but Cassandra's breasts aren't that big. But that same week, the Battle for the Cow one-shot, the network came out, and on the cover... You see two very interesting things. Yes, definitely. I guess the thing that a lot of Bat fans have been wondering is because of those, the only Bat girl that looked like that was always Barbara Gordon. Some of the clues that were were the color lipstick in the way she smiles. That kind of lipstick was always used with Barbara. You can kind of see that in the Oracle series right now. But the thing is that if you look at the mask, there's like, why is there stitching right there? You know, why it's not holding the mask over like it did with the the previous Batgirl. So why is it? Why are the stitches right there? Okay, one thing that I have to say in regards to the stitching is this: this kind of plays into what we were coming up with about spoiler spoiler taking the Batgirl costume from. Sandra Kane, and all she does is she undoes the stitching around the mask and then just takes it off so she has her nose and mouth exposed. Then you have some stitches left, not all of them. And of course, I'm going to be preaching the fact that I'm believing it's Stephanie Brown, which I'm sure everyone who's listening already knows that's what I'm thinking. But that's my theory of why there's the stitching. I am a fan of Stephanie Brown taking on this role, and what other people pointed out was, oh, purple background. Spoiler, purple. Hmm, interesting. So, because we haven't gotten anything to go by for so long, they gave us one image, and what did we do? We picked apart this image, and people were talking about, oh, look at the way she smiles. and, And again, I 
I don't know if these are legitimate clues because women in the DC universe and in comics have been drawn inconsistently in terms of smiles and everything. It's different from artist to artist. I no longer think it's going to be Stephanie. I hope it's going to be Stephanie. But due to recent events, which we'll get into later, I now have a new theory. All right, so then going into the next bit of news... Any, any kind of clue of what character is going to be this Batgirl based on the creative team was put to rest on May 8th when they announced that Lee Garbett was going to be doing the art and Brian Q. Miller's doing the writing. Now, Brian Q. Miller hasn't really worked on anything besides Smallville. He's going to be working on a three-part arc on Teen Titans later on this, this summer, but not as of right now, we don't even know what else he's done. So to say, well, he's writing Teen Titans, so maybe it's a teenage character. That's kind of far-fetched. I wouldn't necessarily go that route. Lee Garbett's been drawing for Outsiders since right after Batman and the Outsiders, since it switched its name. So needless to say, I don't think that the creative team really did us any good for as far as information about who it possibly could be. They did a good job with that, at least. That's the funny thing, because I was definitely one of those people who for many months was like, oh, as soon as we know who the creative team was, it's going to give us a definitive clue. It's going to answer some of our questions, and it really didn't. Like, if it had been Gail Simone, we would have been like, aha, it's Barbara, or Kevin Van Hook, aha, it's Barbara, or Adam Beacon. It's Cassandra. Nothing. And everyone's collective reaction when they said Brian Q. Miller was, huh? Dustin knows because I was on a road trip back from Georgia and I was eagerly awaiting the news and I texted him and I'm like, okay, so who's writing? And he says, Brian Q. Miller. And my reaction was, huh? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he, he's written Smallville and this season and there was a list of episodes somewhere that he wrote this season. I don't remember what they were, but I've been watching Smallville this season and I think that the writing's been awesome. There's about a million people who disagree with me, but so, but the fact that he wrote for this season of Smallville is a plus in my book. Yeah, I mean that the 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 thing that he has that under his belt is always a good thing. I mean, I, I, if fans agree, you know, disagreed with the with the season, it's kind of hard because it's been picked up for two more seasons. So something must be going right with the writing. So I'm very intrigued. I'm I'm wanting to find out about this. Yeah, I said before that. This whole mystery of who is Batgirl, they've been very good at not dropping the spoilers, no pun intended, and keeping it a secret. Whereas the whole Batman thing, we all called that months ago. And I really wish that the mystery of who is Batman was as intriguing as this who is Batgirl mystery that's going on right now. Exactly. And then let's go into what was in... Oracle miniseries. Now, the other thing was a lot of people were thinking, oh, the end of the Oracle miniseries is going to give us some inclination of who Batgirl is going to be. And all it did, in my mind, was create one red herring and leave a ton of answers unanswered. Yeah, exactly. Because at the end, we get to see Batgirl, but it has Barbara Gordon's almost bat symbol. If you look at the the picture that was released, it almost shares similarity to it. But, I mean, I want it to be Stephanie. I want it to be Stephanie. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Barbara Gordon. To me, Barbara Gordon is Batgirl. But this picture does not have her red hair coming out of the cow, which is 
one of the signature parts of Barbara Gordon being Batgirl. So, yeah, it just put in, just threw it up in the air. Like, oh, dang, okay. We thought we all were going to find out at the end of Oracle, and we didn't. Now we're still left like, dang, who is this? Oh, I think that the end of Oracle did give us a clue, but that it isn't going to be Barbara. My new guess is that it's going to be Wendy, the calculator's daughter, who, for those of you who don't know that much about the character, she first appeared in Teen Titans at the end of Infinite Crisis, and she was supposed to be the DCU counterpart of Wendy from the Super Friends TV show. Do you guys remember Wendy and Marvin and Wonder Dog? Yep. Yes. That is who this character is. And they became, like, the technical support for Teen Titans and Infinite Crisis. And then, this is going to sound really weird as I'm explaining this, but they brought in Rex the Wonder Dog. I think his name was Rex. And he turned out to be a demon from another dimension, and he chewed Marvin the death and put Wendy in the hospital, which is why she's in the hospital in this miniseries. But <laughs> I noticed something interesting. Barbara says to Wendy, I'm going to do whatever I can to help you. And I feel like that that's setting up for something, that they wouldn't have put that line in there otherwise. But she couldn't so, feel her legs at the end, though. Well, it's, is it going to be that way forever? See, but, if you, but yeah, but if you say that Wendy's going to come in and she couldn't feel her legs, why couldn't Barbara come back if she's been paralyzed also? Same reason why Bruce got paralyzed and came back and Barbara well, couldn't. Well, okay, we're getting, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Here's the thing, though. Wendy could be paralyzed temporarily just because she just woke up for a coma. That's the thing that not anybody's thinking about. They're thinking, oh, well, she healed somehow and now she can't walk. No, she was in a coma. Maybe she can't move her legs because she had her legs in the same spot for God knows how many weeks or however long she was in the, in the coma for the first part. Barbara has been paralyzed for years. So to say that Wendy can't Batgirl because she's paralyzed. We don't know that she is paralyzed. She just was screaming that she couldn't feel her legs, which could have just been a red herring to begin with. And then the next time we see her, she's walking around like nothing ever happened, and we never even understand why that was in there in the first place, except to make us think that somehow there was some transition of, you know, the ability to walk from Wendy to Barbara. That's another thing that when this book first came out, you had the most misread spoilers online everywhere and and i admit because i read the spoilers before i read the book i fell for it because people were posting i'm not going to say what message board it was but there was a whole message board where every single fan was like ah i just read the book and wendy and barbara switch spines and it's hinted that barbara could walk again and that wendy can't there's no hint that barbara can walk at all which is why i read that last scene to you guys in as much detail as I could, Barbara is still in the chair. We have no reason to believe that her and Wendy magically switch spines. And people were also saying that the Batgirl logo had a picture of Barbara Gordon as Batgirl on it, but that it, Ooh, it, it didn't. It was Barbara Gordon's <laughs> classic Batgirl logo. Now, see, I'll take uh, the low road in Josh's comparison and say when I was reading the message boards, which were the DC message boards... There was the blatant Batgirl image from the showcase presents Batgirl, the yellow one with Batgirl's face in it, and that's what they were saying was in the back of Batgirl, and that's why everyone was saying, oh, well, Barbara's going to be Batgirl again. And then it turns out it was a purple one. It's similar. It's not exactly the same. It's very similar. And it didn't have her face. But it's also purple, which goes back to the 
maybe spoiler. I just feel like for some reason there was a lot of attention on Wendy's condition at the end of the book, and I feel like they're setting her up for something, and that's kind of been a trend in the Bat books lately. They're bringing these random people to fill in previously established roles. Take Asriel, for instance, which the same thing, you know, this lame character. We never heard of him before. And now I'll, well, not to say that we've never heard of Winnie before, but she's pretty much, you know, a character who's been under the radar. She's just a reject from the Super Friends TV show who was a Teen Titans supporting character for the past few years. Needless to say, it's interesting in and of itself. It's still up in the air. There's no definite of who it's going to be. But then, to make matters a little worse in in, in the regards of what's true and what's red herring what's you know what can we actually believe the solicitation for Batgirl number one came out and now this solicitation reads in the wake of okay. Batman R.E.P. and Battle for the Cow a new heroine has emerged in Gotham City and she begins her nocturnal crusade to take back the night she will truly learn what it means to wear the mantle of the bat but who is this young woman and why has she donned the cape and cow so if you go off of that it's not Barbara Gordon. Nope. It almost screams Wendy to me. Somebody was talking about, too, how on the DCU source blog, though, to go to your Stephanie theory, they said, we're not going to spoil anything. And they're like, ah, he said spoil. <laughs> <laughs> but that but that would be that would be perfect because the character is well loved. It's a role that she can move right into and where fans would support. You know, I, we would love that. We would love to have Stephanie Brown. She's a character that we all love. She brings something that no other female character has ever brought. And she has a very cool personality. Her taking on Batgirl would be so sweet. Not to mention, here's something interesting. If Wendy was to take it over, or even Barbara Gordon was to take over Batgirl, what is going to happen to Stephanie Brown? The last time we saw her, she was in the spoiler costume, and then she was asked by Robin to give it up. Then we saw her in Gotham Gazette briefly, which we might see her in the new Gotham Gazette that's going to be coming out in the next couple weeks. But what will happen to her if she doesn't become Batgirl? She's not going to be spoiler as long as Robin's around because she wants, well, we would assume she wants to honor Robin's wishes. But at the same time... What could happen to her? I don't want her to get killed off. She's one of the few characters that I like that actually has been introduced in a very strange way and not very needed, but it works. And I like what she's done while she's been in the stories. Stephanie Brown as Batgirl would be very, very close to the classic Silver Age Batgirl that a lot of people want because Stephanie Brown, even though she's been involved with the Batman family, she's still kind of always been the outsider who isn't really fully accepted like Barbara was in the early days. Right, even though she's right. Robin, you know, plus, I mean, she's a very down-to-earth Batman character. They did a whole storyline with her in the 90s where she did the teenage pregnancy and gave the kid up for adoption, you know. That's some very interesting stuff for a Batman character. And, you know, her dad's the criminal, and her mom was a junkie who got healed, and now she's a nurse. There's lots of interesting stuff about the character, and like I said... I think it's going to be Wendy, but I want to be wrong. I want it to be spoiler. I just don't think it's going to be her anymore. And like Dustin said, if what's her role after that? 
we can always assume that she'll just pick up the spoiler costume again, judging by images that have been quote unquote leaked from Red Robin. And Red Robin number three, we kind of speculated this, but we kind of see it looks like Tim Drake at Bruce's grave and there's a woman standing with him, which we're kind of speculating it being Stephanie Brown. So, you know, it's it's. Hopefully the clues are right there for us that we're putting them together that hopefully Stephanie Brown will be Batgirl. But I mean, and, and I mean, until August, that's something we're going to, that's when we're going to find out, man. That's what sucks. <laughs> we got to wait. Batgirl, eat your heart out. Right. So then to talk about the future of Azrael. Now, the one thing that we've been talking about the last couple of podcasts, as far as news coming out and stuff like that, is that. Back at Emerald City Comic Con, DC announced that there was going to be X amount of different series coming out in August. Not just in June, where we've got a ton of new series coming out, but August was going to have some new series too. We now know that Batgirl is obviously shipping in August now, and we also know that Kevin Smith's new book, The Whiting Gear, is going to be shipping in August too. Also, we've got Blackest Night Batman, which, if you want to know more about Blackest Night... Batman's involvement in that. Check out the forums because there's a where we've got a couple different threads about that to discuss about how much we should actually cover about Blackest Night. And then the idea was, well, they said that there was going to be three series that were going to be coming out in August. Out of those three series, we know what those three series are, but we didn't know whether or not Batgirl was included in those three. We now know it is. But what's interesting is that they said. Fabian was going to be working on a bad book in August. For whatever reason, he's not working on it in August, and the only book that's left that hasn't been announced to the creative team is Azrael, which isn't coming out in August, which could be, as we know from issue number three, it says coming this fall, which could anywhere be between September to November. So he has to be working on that series, hands down if he's not, then they basically out and out lied, or they had a change of plans. Who knows? I don't know if I'll be picking it up. The only reason why I'm thinking about it is because Fabian's writing it, and I love Fabian's run on Robin, but the character of Asriel just has never interested me. And the miniseries that just came out, it held my interest at various points, but I don't know. I'm I'm going to be picking up because this character is, is the the character Azriel as it appears to me is also going to be a whoever puts on the suit seems to always be a tortured soul, and so that that always intrigues me about these kind of characters within the Batman universe. Michael Lane is going to be watched by the Bat family. Nightwing told him that that he was going to be keeping an eye on him. How violent or how how he loses his mind within that suit, if he loses his mind within that suit, is the question. And that's what's going to probably keep me on the story as the ongoing series goes on. That's what's going to probably keep me intrigued because I want to see what point does he lose his mind like John Paul did within that suit. Ezra, the character can go one way or the other. You either like him or you hate him. We say that about a lot of different things, but that's the reality of it. You either like him or you hate him. There's not really an in-between. And when it's the in-between, it's 
you don't really, you don't care. And if you don't care, then you don't even count as in that regard as far as whether you hate him or like him. But the reality of it is we will be covering it because it's a bad book nonetheless, so we'll be covering it here on the podcast and on the website. But what's interesting is that I can't, based on what we saw in the miniseries, I don't know how far this is going to be able to go. I mean, Azrael, when it was Jean-Paul, lasted for 100 issues, had, you know, it was tied in numerous times during storylines, and it made sense at some points. Some points it was just it was an excess book. Some may say that it almost was like Simon Dark, which doesn't really make a difference when it comes to the bad books. But how far can this actually go, and how long can it go for? Because, honestly, if we're going to see another series that's only going to last maybe 20 to 30 issues, why even bother? This is a character that, it's not like we took somebody from the Batman universe and we're making them into the character that we know from the past. We're taking a very, very low character on the totem pole and giving him a larger role. And I guess, okay, let's give him a chance to, you know, establish himself, okay. But it seems like there's there could have been, this could have gone a bunch of different ways. They could have took, like, a villain, which would have been really cool to see. A villain who's trying to redeem himself and put him in the character of Azrael. He can still do the crazy things, but it makes it interesting. Having a character who, you know, basically... Used to be a cop for the GCPD. Was a fake Batman that worked for si- that was in Simon Hurt's program. Um, you know, I don't really see it being all that interesting. I mean, the idea of him chopping off people's arms if they commit a crime with their arms or their legs if they commit a crime with their legs it's a little excessive, and it just reminds me of Simon Dark tearing people's heads off. Right, and it almost reminds you a little bit of what Jason Todd might do, right? Exactly. And see, the, the thing that you brought a very good point. Azrael, when it was first came out, <clears throat> when it ran for the 100 issues, what was it, like 95 to 2002 or three somewhere around there? When, when that ran at the halfway mark, they were kind of changing it up because the book was already losing interest with, with fans. Because Azrael was in – you have to have a creative team that's going to love to do the character. So – with with this new Azrael, are they going to keep that creative team? Now, Fabian, we all love Fabian. We we love what he does. Now, will he make a commitment within the book to, if it runs 47 issues, if it runs 100 issues, is he going to make that kind of commitment? Because that these type of characters are going to need that kind of attention to, to stand on their own. Because right now, in this day and time in comic books, if the comic starts going down like Simon Dark, because... We thought, oh, you know, Simon Dark got picked up. It's going to continue more. It kind of fell off, and they just stopped it. They were like, no, that's it for Simon Dark. That might just hold true for Ezreal, too. After 10 issues, 13 issues, are people going to be still interested? And see, the problem with that is that when you do something like that, that gives any other character who could have their own good run having their own series horrible, horrible situation because there are plenty of characters that you think these characters really could have their own series. Right, right. And And there's a lot of good characters out there. Yeah, and then they they don't because they don't want to take the risk on the character because of Simon Dark and 
be this Azrael, who knows? You have to get somebody, and the, the perfect, ex you know, a good example is that Simon Dark, the same creative team, did work on it the entire time, which helped it in some regards. I guess it got it to go a little further than, it, than I assume it was intended to go. But at the same time, it kind of hurt it because it didn't seem like they had any idea of where the character could go besides the first 13 issues. After that, they were lost. They didn't have any idea. If Azrael has the same creative team, they need to make sure they keep it at least to establish the character because we're coming into a character that we know very little about. We've gotten three issues about this person, and the three issues are not jam-packed with information about this specific character. So we need somebody to build this character, which means a decent commitment, at least 10, 20, 30 issues, at least, to establish the character, to make us want to read about them. Right. Well, I, uh, what I want to add, too, is that how far is this character going to go? Because we just saw in issue three where he just said it's going to have like, you know, it's going to be uh, eye for eye. OK, so if it's going to be an eye for eye his brand of punishment is just it's not going to hold up with the bad family the bad family's not going to go as an extreme as he would that's why i said that i mean when he starts losing his mind and if he starts losing in his mind in that suit i think that's when the stories are going to become more interesting also One thing they'll let him get away with it the bad families you know like oh jason todd just need hugs let's free him from jail even though he's been like shooting people and cutting their heads off <laughs> One thing that could be interesting is what we saw in the network with Huntress trying to shoot the corrupt guy who was on death row. Maybe Azrael and Huntress team up since they have their own little so-called brand of justice. Hmm. I know it's completely outside the box, but just think about it as far as, you know, what's Huntress doing? Yeah, she'll, she'll appear in Streets of Gotham, but she's not going to have a prominent role, so send her over somewhere where she can participate in her certain kind of justice with somebody who's in the same mindset throw jason todd into the mix and call the series rough justice and then you have you know three characters who basically are all the same your compassion is a weakness your enemies will not share so that's pretty much all we need to discuss about this. Make sure you head over to the forums and discuss this in, at, at length even more. We'll discuss it even more as we already are discussing this this upcoming new series coming out in August and in the fall. So let's go into Bat Books for Beginners and let's throw it over to Nick. And welcome to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. This is Nick, and today I'm looking at Batman Terror, written by Doug Monk and art by Paul Galazzi. This was originally published in the Legends of the Dark Knight series, issues 137 to 141, back in 2001. And it follows on from Strange's first encounter with Batman earlier in the series in Batman Prey. Here's the plot. <laughs> Look at your drugs, stay to my customers. Buyer beware. I told you my compound would take you places. I never said there'd be places you wanted to go. The book opens with Doctor Strange murdering an old man in his bed in a large old mansion. Doctor Strange is dressed as Batman and he leaves a bat-shaped blood stain on the wall. 
This is the same Doctor Strange who jumped into a river while shot, but was never found and is presumed dead. Gordon Batman think there is more to this than just framing Batman, as Strange is aware of the special relationship that Gordon and Batman have. Batman realises this is probably about sharing Strange's superior intellect with Batman. Gordon and Batman also discuss Catwoman and what to do about her. Strange starts working in disguise at Arkham Asylum, as Jonathan Crane's visiting psychiatrist. He hypnotises him over time to strengthen his belief that he is the master of fear. We get a brief Scarecrow origin explanation, which, if you were listening last time, we covered on the book Four of a Kind. But this origin particularly mentions the high school bullies that bullied Crane, which turned him into Scarecrow. Strange, through his hypnotism skills, manages to get Crane out of Arkham Asylum, and Crane, under Strange's power, begins to concoct a new super-hallucinogenic fear gas. Strange also warns Bruce Wayne he suspects his identity by attacking Alfred at Wayne Manor. Crane then attacks Strange later on whilst he is asleep and attacks him with fear gas. Strange stumbles around the house as he flees from Crane and he falls down Crane's trap and impales himself on a weather vane and seems apparently dead. That's more like it. Of course, you all know comic book characters don't stay dead for long. Scarecrow then lures Catwoman to a warehouse with a fake newspaper story about jewels that Crane assumes Catwoman would like to steal. He captures her, unmasks her, and takes photos of her face, and blackmails her into leading Batman to a particular area of Gotham that Strange knew would affect Batman, Crime Alley. Catwoman does this in fear of her identity being revealed to the public. A nameless victim is found at Crime Alley, hanging upside down. Scarecrow beheads him in front of Batman. The two then fight, and Catwoman joins in, aiding Batman. Scarecrow flees, and Catwoman tells Batman she wasn't aware of what would happen, but she had no choice but to lead Batman. Scarecrow captures two more strangers, who we learn attended high school with Crane, and he prisons them in his haunted house, torturing them with his fear gas. Gordon learns of their disappearance and connects the previous man at Crime Alley to these two as bullies at the high school that Crane went to. A cat signal is lit to attract Catwoman to arrange a truce. Catwoman aids Batman in finding Crane's haunted house through a tracking device she left there whilst kidnapped. Batman arrives and goes through the typical death traps and fear gas problems which you usually encounter with the Scarecrow. Catwoman manages to burn the photos revealing her identity and attacks Crane with fire. The house starts to burn down. Uh, Catwoman is told to get out of the building by Batman. She does so. But Batman and Crane fall into one of Crane's death traps in the basement. Water rises from beneath them, and fire burns from above them. Whilst Batman looks for a way out, Doctor Strange emerges from the water, apparently not dead, saying that he ate rats to survive. Batman manages to set off a gas explosion in the house, forcing the cliff edge the house is built on to explode and the water gushes out to the sea. Batman captures Crane, but there is no sign of Strange, who has disappeared once again. The book closes with Batman telling Catwoman their truce is over. It's never dull, is it, Batman? Oh, but I like to get my claws into them. What this situation needs is a woman's touch. In review, I generally enjoyed this book. Um, a few good points were the fact that I thought Doctor Strange was done a lot better than he was in Prey. He was a bit more disturbing with his sexual problems and, of course, his typical psychology problems. 
and he seemed a bit darker than the last time we saw him, and more interesting. I thought the change in the story when the Scarecrow attacked Strange and apparently killed him was a very good twist, and I didn't see it coming, and um, I thought that was excellent writing, and credit to make Strange interesting, considering he's missing for half of the book, so the monk managed to do a good job there. There's a moment where Catwoman joins Gordon and Batman by the Bat-Signal on the rooftop, and that was quite original and interesting to see because we don't see many other characters interact with Gordon and Batman on the roof. So it was nice to see something a bit different there. I liked the fact that Jonathan Crane was capable of fighting. We learnt he knows some sort of martial arts and is capable of holding himself in a fight against Batman, which is good to see because most villains don't. Uh, There was a cat signal at one point, which I thought was quite original. Nice to see something a bit different. I also enjoyed the fact that Catwoman was relevant in this story because in past books I've read recently, she seems to be a bit irrelevant. She's just stuffed in there because it's Catwoman and we want to see her. She's not usually part of the story or any. there's no reason for her being there. But this time she actually added to the plot, was required, and, and did quite a good job. And I thought it was quite a good addition to have Catwoman in there. I don't need help! Not my diagnosis. So you've actually got Crane, Strange, and Catwoman, all three of them in there, and uh, I don't think it was crowded at all. I think they did a good job of making them all interesting. A couple of bad points are that I thought Strange's disguise at Arkham Asylum was a bit weak. I mean, he just put a wig on. Not too good. There was a, a part in the middle of the book where Bruce went to see his parents' grave, and he was talking about how he wanted to put more effort into the Wayne Foundation. He was just going on and on about a bit of nonsense that didn't really add to the book. It wasn't much point in it being in there. I thought it might come back later in the story, but it didn't. So I just started questioning what was the point in that. I'll tell you what it was. It was filler. Very odd to put it in there. There was another point where somehow uh, Commissioner Gordon managed to connect the fact that the uh, strangers that Crane was kidnapping were bullies at school. I don't know how he found out that information. seems very odd to find out immediately uh, whether people were bullies at school 15 years ago. But he did that somehow. Uh, The art in the book was better than average, but it didn't really impress me. And when you have the Scarecrow involved in a story, you can do some pretty crazy stuff with artwork. And there aren't any limits when you get round to the fear parts. But I thought it was pretty typical and uh, didn't stand out. Overall, though, 4 out of 5, pretty enjoyable. If you're a Scarecrow fan, this is quite a good one to get. Pardon all Fallon! I sentence you to death for your crimes against Gotham! Don't all your enemies that have come before you! Please! I've done nothing wrong! Oh, but you have, Cardinal. You tried to help the city's homeless, tried to save the wretched and forgotten. But the Scarecrow doesn't want them saved! The Scarecrow wants them driven downward into my kind and loving arms. The Scarecrow's here with an army of escaped Arkham inmates and homeless. They've all been poisoned with toxin. So that's BBFB for this time. Next time I'll be reviewing Batman Spook, another book from the Legends of the Dark Knight series. If you want to comment on my review or the book, do your own review, pop on the forums. There's a poll for this book and every other book I've reviewed, so you can rate it out of 1 to 5 Batarangs. So that's me done for this time. Now it's back to Dustin and the guys. See ya. Fear is power. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you pick up the next book for the next episode. Let's go into our upcoming releases. On May 27th, we have Batman in Barcelona, Dragon's Night. 
Batman the Brave and the Bold number 5, Gotham Gazette, Batman Alive, and Robin the Teen Wonder, as we talked about earlier. Going into June, on the 3rd, we have Batgirl Redemption, which we talked about earlier. We have Batman, <laughs> we have Batman and Robin number 1, which will be Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly. And then we have Superman Batman Finest Worlds. So going into what we will be covering the next time on the podcast, we'll be reviewing Battle for the Cowl number 3, The Outsiders number 18, Superman Batman number 60, Batman and Barcelona Dragon's Knight, Batman the Brave and the Bold number 5, Gotham Gazette, Batman Alive. Tune in tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. And that's pretty much all we have for this episode. As a reminder, you can always go to the forums, become a member, and discuss all kinds of numerous things with all the other members of the forums, as well as you can discuss things directly with us as well. Uh, you can email us, comicpodcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. You can go on iTunes, leave us a review. We are always grateful when you leave a review for us. You can go to MySpace, Facebook, Blogspot. We have pages on all of those. And... Of course, check out the website daily for all your news about the Batman comics, as well as all the other aspects of Batman. A small little request we'd like to put out. We know we've been doing things just a slight bit different the last couple episodes as far as doing reviews. More current, and we've done something a little different with Batman the Brave and the Bold. We'd like to hear your opinions. Some people have made their opinions known on the forums. We know everybody doesn't want to join the forums, so email us your ideas and or criticisms or suggestions for what we can do to either change things up or if you like it how it is, email us comicpodcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. So that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Apple. You got Josh. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. Bye bye. <laughs> Two and a half stars only, only because that, I mean, two batterings. and a half batterings. Yeah. So I'm going to have to say two out of three batterings for this issue and the miniseries as a whole. You just said, you just said two out of three. So. Whose phone is that? That's not me. That's my. Okay. Hold on. I say it because I'm one thing that every noise is me. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. You're all waiting to hear if I'm going to do it, aren't you? <laughs> you can say anything. You can say anything. <laughs>